Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Forever Saturday podcast, because it is always college football Saturday in our house. I'm Serena, better known as R on Twitter. And I'm Matt, also at MattSwartz723. And what do we do now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've seen people say this over and over on Twitter, um, but, you know, I feel like the dog that caught the car. That's exactly right. I'm like, yeah. what am I supposed to do? Because, you know, we've been getting all of the NFL announcements from everybody who we already knew basically was going to go. I, I don't think any one of those announcements has really been a surprise. And I'm just like, yep, bye, thank you, appreciate it, like, good luck, I'm rooting for you, don't care. And I'm not even thinking about, like, except for, like, JJ, like, who's next up at quarterback, you kind of always think about. But I'm like, who's replacing Zinter? Like, I have no idea who's replacing Zinter. Who's replacing Keegan? I don't know, I haven't thought about it. I literally have not thought about any one of these positions and what's next and who's next and anything at all. It's not time yet. It just doesn't matter right now. I don't care. I, I do not care. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about, like, you know how sad I always am at the end of college football season. It's just like, oh, man, it's it's over. And now it's, you know, 270 days or whatever until it's back, the long summer. And now it's just, it's so hard to think of it that way. It's just like every day is another day to bask in Michigan national champions. And it's, it's wonderful. I was actually going to start off, though, with, I, I'd been thinking for a little while about this, I think, leading up to the playoff like during that month-ish wait, which was just why I was so zen this year, right? And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that it was kind of the, the story of if we had lost in either the playoff or the championship game. And so I kind of want to tell it here, even though it's, I don't know, it's not as relevant, I guess, but we spent all year, like every time we were on this podcast or even in the stadium, you were always like, oh, I'm worried about this. I don't like how this game is going. It doesn't look good or whatever. And I'd always be like, it's fine. It's going to be fine. Yeah. When Jim Harbaugh said chicken was a nervous bird, I actually think he was just talking about me. I'm nervous all the time. Uh, well, I think I, I generally have been that way for Michigan games. Like I'm a ball of nerves and I get the, the pit in my stomach and all of that. And it just didn't feel the same way for this season, at least. It was just unusually and exceptionally zen and I think part of that obviously was just the team and what they are and you know going up against Michigan State I was like I I can't possibly be concerned about Michigan State with what Michigan is and the way they methodically professionally handle business every week but that wasn't most of it I don't think it was part of it but not most of it and the more I thought about it the more I realized that it was just it'd been a pretty hard like 20-ish years to be a Michigan fan. I don't mean to sound like complaining. I realize that Michigan football generally has it better than a lot of other programs out there. We were just listening to the shutdown full cast about this, and I think they've they've pilled us, right? It's like, what's this, when do you get to start complaining? Like, how long is yeah. it before you get to start complaining? And I think, I can't remember who it was, maybe Ryan Nani was like, okay, but we have to understand that as Florida fans, even though it's been a while, like, we have it so much better than overwhelming majority of college football programs and obviously Michigan is similarly situated right so you don't sound complaining but I can hear I can hear what Ryan Nani and Spencer Hall were saying resonating in what you're saying right now so I'm like putting it in context yeah that's right being a Michigan fan in general has been pretty good relative to the rest of college football but we've had some pretty bad years I mean we were talking about this the other day there have been four losing seasons for Michigan in the last 15 years and there were some good seasons 
but even the good ones always kind of came up short, mostly against Ohio State, right? Almost every time against Ohio State. Or, you know, even when you kind of get over the hump. I mentioned this on the last episode. There was a lot of these times where it was like every glimmer of hope where it's like, oh, is this, is this something? It just kind of got snuffed out and it was back to the coal mines, right? 2006, 2011, 2015 and 16. Every time it was just right back downhill as soon as you kind of thought, as soon as you could feel it. And for a lot of that time, it just felt like as live or die Michigan football fans, we were putting in a lot more than we were getting out of that relationship. You know, there were times where it was like, why are we doing this to ourselves? (laughs) You don't get the payoff for it ever. At best, you get, this is pretty fun, and then it's a devastating end. And then came this team. Right, really starting in 2021. So when I say this team, not necessarily just Team 144, but over the last few years, and they gave us the the win over Ohio State, and I mean one loss in the last three regular seasons, the playoff appearance, and Corum and Jade and just all these guys that we love. They gave us everything, and they made it fun again to be a Michigan fan. Right, just week in and week out. They were, they were winning, and they were something that we could be proud of as Michigan fans. And I think even going into the, the playoff, you know, like I said, it was really an all-year thing for me that I was watching this team, and I just kind of felt at ease because it was like, I feel like I'm getting out of it more than I put in, I guess is, is kind of the, the, the takeaway here. It's like it's something that I can be proud of again and just love and enjoy watching every week. And that would have been enough. It would have been enough. And it's just so amazing and wonderful that it doesn't have to be. I mean, they gave us everything. They gave us all of this year, of the last three years, really. And then to get, you know, the Rose Bowl and the national championship on top of it, it was just, it's it's still hard to kind of wrap my head around. But like I said, it, it would have been enough, but it wasn't for them. You know, they, they said they had unfinished business and they finished it and we got everything. So that was just my my thinking going into the playoff. And um, it would have been the story if we'd lost one of those games. Fortunately, I <laughs> never really had to, to dwell on it too much more after, but it is something that's still kind of in the back of my mind. So I just wanted to, to put that out there at the beginning of this episode. This is a remarkable level of zen for a season that was fucking chaotic. Oh, sure. It was crazy. Like, this season was insane. Like, you're saying this to me. And I am looking at you bewildered. You look like an alien to me right now because I am like, what season did you experience? I'm like, I experienced a season where all of the accomplishments of Michigan got called into question. We're under immense scrutiny. People are chiding us like everything we've ever done is shameful. The the coach filed a fucking lawsuit. He got suspended twice. I was like, I don't... the level of zen you experienced does not align with my experience is what I'm telling you. I felt like my hair was on fire for 12 weeks. I mean, part of that was just that it was it was outside noise, right? And some of it became inside noise. Like, there were actual tangible effects on Michigan during the season. Obviously, Harbaugh wasn't, wasn't there for the last three games. So it's not like it was entirely something that you could block out. And we spent, you know, almost every week talking more than we wanted to about it. But at the same time, like on Saturday at, at noon or whatever time, you know, when, when Toe meets leather, it was, it was the team that I, 
you know, a team we'd waited for, right? Like we said, the way they handled business and the way they just dominated from beginning to end, it was really wonderful to, to get to experience that as a, a fan and somebody who, like I said, just waited a long time for that. There wasn't a payoff for a long time, and, and this year there, there really was, even absent the end, and then to get everything on top of that is uh, it's surreal. And now we're just kind of basking in all of it. I mean, we, uh, we stayed in Michigan for the week after the championship game and went to the parade, the parade right down State Street, as Blake Corum foretold, and you've got Corum in, in his Wolverine mitts on the bus holding the crystal football, which was <laughs> ridiculous. You've got multiple offensive linemen fully shirtless in, like, 12-degree weather or whatever yeah. it was that day. Barnhart, uh, Keegan, and Ohadi, Ohadi at yeah. points were shirtless. Keegan's shotgunning beers that he's catching from the, the frat houses across State Street. Yeah, 85 and Sigma Chi were just pelting beers at everybody from, you know, their, like, roofs, lawns, yeah. folding tables that they were standing on, unclear. But, they, yeah, they were It just, was an experience. It was an experience. Honestly, I'm glad they were there. And I would be curious, because obviously we were, we were standing relatively near that area. That's how we were able to see those things, right? We were standing in front of the law school and across from, um, from 85 and Sigma Chi right there on state. But I would be like I, I'm glad they were there to do that, honestly, because I've been to one other championship parade in my life, and it was a New England Patriots Super Bowl parade, and it was the year that I lived in Boston. And as you can imagine, Boston being Boston, it's super fun in large part because everybody is wasted. Like, the Bostonians are wasted. Rob Gronkowski is definitely wasted. Isn't that just, like, the general state of Boston? Yeah. Because that, that's no, not out of the ordinary, right? Correct. But that's part of what makes it fun. And, I don't know, something about the frats being there really did add to the experience. Yeah. That they're, like, throwing beers at you. Like, I would be curious what it was like further south as you headed towards Schembechler, because that's where you get all of those, like senior houses like right there on um, mm-hmm. state headed towards Hoover that if that part of the experience kept up but yeah I mean we saw Corum like one hand's a beer he's got the crystal football in another hand I think he passed that beer to Keegan I don't think he drank it but Keegan's like fully shirtless pouring beers directly into his mouth and this was by the way, the parade started at the president's house. So it's just on, like, like South U, right at State, basically, is, like, where the president's house is. So this Keegan's doing this 30 seconds into the parade. Oh, like yeah. Fully, it's the first turn. They're 30 seconds into the parade. We're like, good. Love it. Perfect. No notes. By the time of the, uh, I mean, we also went to the, the celebration Saturday night in Chrysler. And by that point, Keegan looked like he was having a rough time. <laughs> he was at least a few beers in, let's he, put it that way. No, much. he's like fully, he's like, he's dissociating. He's like looking at the ground and just kind of like hands on his face. Like I'm, like he's holding up his face, right? But he's <laughs> yep. like looking at the ground. And I was like, oh, he's. Yeah. We've been there, buddy. Like, I've been there, buddy. That was a wild event. I mean, you had Harbaugh in extreme Harbaugh mode, right? He's doing the full Shakespeare quote. I think there were proverbs at one point. We were about 30 minutes in by the time we got the first uh, World War II reference. So very on brand. And it wasn't even us. It was the guy with the trophy. Yeah, it wasn't actually Harbaugh. No. Big, big upset. I don't know what the line was on that one, but huge upset that it wasn't Harbaugh with the first World War II reference. Yeah, so we were uh, there to enjoy all of it. 
we got the pictures of Michigan Theater. I don't know if you've seen them. I posted a couple of them on Twitter where just the, the marquee at Michigan Theater says, congratulations, national champs. And that one, uh, that, that kind of got me as I saw it. It was just, I don't know, just walking around Ann Arbor, being there for all of the the revelry. I'd never been to a parade before. Been a long time since a team in the state of Michigan won one. Not since I was, I mean, we're talking like 20-ish years ago, right? I guess the Red Wings in 08. Yeah, Red or Wings. Or slightly more recent. Yeah, Red Wings are not that long ago. But it had been a while, and just to you know to be there in Ann Arbor and get to experience all of that, it's uh, it, it was perfect. It was also my birthday, which was dope. I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I told you with all of everything that was going on and as they were planning the parade during the week, I was like, I, I can't really plan much for your birthday because obviously we're doing all of this, but also I know this is better than anything money could buy. So <laughs> we're just going to roll with it. Correct. Correct. My birthday always sucks because it's always like, it's right after Christmas. Football season has usually ended, and for Michigan, not exactly in ideal fashion. So it's like, oh no, we played on January the 8th, and we won. And now there's a parade, and here's when it is. It's like, oh my God, perfect. Nothing will ever top. No, I was in Paris on my last birthday, and I was like, nah, I'll take this parade. Thank <laughs> you. Way better. So while we're on the, uh, the topic of January 8th, we have any like last thoughts we want to talk about on the national championship game? There's some things we've been bouncing back and forth. Yeah. The thing I want to say is it didn't feel that way in the moment, obviously. Like, I'm stressed. I'm, I cried from stress at some point in the middle of the game. Yep. Um, because I was just, it was frustration and stress. I was pissed off that I felt like we had gotten six opportunities up seven with the ball or up 10 with the ball or up 14 with the ball to really put that bitch on ice and we did not do it. And I was just frustrated and I was crying and I was like, how long are we going to ask the defense to hold up like this? Because you're one play away and this offense can get you on one play and I'm just crying and I'm frustrated. And so it didn't feel that way in the moment, but like in hindsight, man, Michigan was not losing that fucking game. Like they just weren't right. Like, Bama was the big one, and once they got through it, they were just not losing. I, I don't know what to tell you. I talked about this a little bit on Twitter, but um, there was a play that Mikey Sainer still made. It was a third down, and one of the things that's really remarkable about this game when you get the chance to watch it back when you're not a ball of nerves is how exquisite the tackling was. Like, outside of the one from Keon Sab, like, on, I think on, on the first possession, first possession yeah. like, their first drive, Michigan made basically every tackle in this game. Like, the yak was zero. It was like, a near-perfect defensive th- performance. There was nothing there. But Mikey Sainer still had one in particular. Again, it's third down, so it's like a get-them-off-the-field type situation, right? And... He makes this tackle, and it's an incredible tackle. I mean, he, it's like third and, I don't know what, five? Yeah, at like the third end and of the six, first something quarter, like that. Right? Yeah. Michigan's up 14 to three, I think, at the time. And, you know, they throw a little pass out, like, to the flat, and the receiver's got it, and he's got space in front of him if he can get past Mikey. And Mikey wrestles this man down with one arm. Yeah, well, Mikey kind of overran it, right? The guy makes the, the catch on the quick out, and he tries to turn it back inside as Mikey's going past him. And, yeah, Mikey has the, the right arm on him, spins him around, and then wrestles him to the ground. Just a, an absolute, I am not losing this play. Yeah. And, 
I was reminded when I saw it again of an episode of the Shutdown Full Cast from after the 2021 Ohio State game. If you don't listen to them, they right they do this full cast after dark, which is an immediate reaction to all of the college games from that day. It's usually like around 11 or 12 p.m. or 12 a.m. I guess. And that year they were in Ann Arbor for Ohio State Michigan, the 2021 game. And they were talking about their experience there. I, they titled the episode, I think, Fuck Ohio Day or Happy Fuck Ohio Day, as, as one should. Obviously. And there's a moment when Spencer Hall is talking about the game, and he says there was a, a point where I looked at Hassan Haskins, who, as we all know, went for five touchdowns in that game. Spencer looked at him, and he said, Hassan Haskins is not losing this fucking game. Like, he was just like, he's not losing this game. I don't know what to say. There's just a moment mm-hmm. where it's like, Michigan's not going to lose this game because Hassan Haskins is not going to lose this game. And in hindsight, that's how that Mikey play makes me feel. Like, that should have been the moment where my rational brain took over and said, we are not losing this game because Mikey Sainer still will not allow it, right? I didn't do that because unlike, you know, unlike Spencer Hall, who gets to watch Michigan with a clear head, I get to watch Michigan with my heart falling out of my butt. So, like, it's not – I don't have his level of clarity, but in hindsight looking at that play, my my feeling is that to me should have been the moment that I knew Michigan was never going to let this one get out of their grasp in the same way that Mikey Sainer still was not letting that player, whoever he was, I don't remember which Washington receiver it was, get out of his yeah. fucking clutches. There's no way. Yeah, no, and that's – I feel like we've talked to a few people in the aftermath of the game – and there's kind of been this consensus that you probably mostly feel it too. Maybe there are some people listening who disagree, but looking back on it, it does kind of feel like the Bama game was the national championship in a sense. Like that was, it, I told you it had a little bit of miracle on ice to it, right? Where US beats USSR in the semifinal game. And that's, you know, one of the greatest hockey games ever played, but they didn't actually win the gold. They had to go back out and beat Finland to win the gold medal. And that's kind of, I guess, how it feels now thinking about the the two playoff games like the first one the rose bowl being bama and saban just the way that people have talked about the sec being the juggernaut the thing that nobody can really ever compete with getting past that was kind of the big push from base camp right and then that got them to just short of the summit and then the washington game was just the final step and now they get to stand on the mountaintop and and admire the view, right? And that's what we're all doing. And then, obviously, in the last couple of days, we've gotten, like you mentioned before, all the announcements, right? The who, who's going pro, who's staying. Blake Corum put out the the video farewell that I gotta say it's the first that I can ever remember, at least, of a draft entry announcement that's made me cry. <laughs> You said uh, right after we were watching it, like they say, don't cry because it, or sorry, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. And I feel like we were doing both at the same time watching that video. I mean, he's one of the most special, like one of the greatest to ever do it at Michigan and one of the greatest of people to ever do it at Michigan. And um, yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to say goodbye to that. No, it is. I mean, when he said, I'm hanging up the winged helmet, I fucking cried. I was like, cool, cool. This is very normal reaction to a college player graduating from college. This is normal. I'm I'm normal. Actually, I don't need to be institutionalized. Very normal relationship with Michigan football. Like, I, I was like, this is crazy, actually. I should be in 
in an institution. But no, I, it really was. We're getting all the announcements. The you know obviously the open question was JJ. Right. But the reality was, I mean, we we walked out of the event at Chrysler Center. You've got twelve thousand people chanting "One more year at you." He looks a little somber, even as he is addressing everybody. I mean, he's saying something like, you know, no matter what happens, I'm, you know, a Wolverine for life type of, and you're like, okay, he's gone, right? And, you know, we got the, like, Instagram announcement a day later. Well, I kind of told you, I mean, even before he announced, I said there's a part of me that, like, in my head, I obviously wanted the, the one more year like everybody else did, and I... I understand that Michigan with JJ next year and with everybody they have coming back on defense, we we can talk about a little bit more, but that team could compete for another national championship. But in my heart, I wanted him to go. I wanted him to be able to, to go out with this team, with his guys, with Blake and with the offensive linemen and Roman Wilson just, and let that be his legacy, the national championship, go out a champion and go out with that legacy. Right. 3-0 and against Ohio State, three Big Ten titles, and a national championship. Just go, buddy. Yeah, there's really nothing more for you to accomplish in college. It's time. And then, like you said, that was the big question, really. Was I think almost everybody else was, I don't want to say foregone conclusion, but for the most part it was not a surprise, really, anybody who's declared. But, you know, what are they going to do at quarterback next year? There's been a lot of speculation about that already. Is it... I don't want to talk about it yet. I don't care. Yeah, I mean, we can... <laughs> We can come back to that when it's been more than a week since the national title or whatever. But, I mean, we've heard Donovan Edwards is coming back. He announced that earlier today with him and Claude Mullings and, you know, a bunch of veteran offensive linemen who are ready to play. And then on top of that, obviously, the defense. We're getting Josiah Stewart back. We're getting Rod Moore back. It should be one of the best defenses in the country. It looks like it should be, you know, at least potentially a playoff caliber team. Pending, of course, Jim Harbaugh who we've seen just in the last couple hours, was interviewing with the Chargers today. I mean, the thing with Harbaugh is, who fucking knows, right? Like, there's a lot of stuff going on 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 Twitter, like a lot of just people saying shit about, oh, it's that Ward doesn't really care if he's there, or it's, you know, Michigan hasn't done X, Y, Z. Like, the reality is that if Jim Harbaugh wants to go to the NFL, it's because he wants to win a Super Bowl. He wants that one more shot. And he's been pretty open about that, really. I mean, he doesn't directly address it, but also, like, the way that it comes about, I think it's pretty clear that he still has that that thought in the back of his mind, that he wants that. And it doesn't really have anything to do with Ward Manual. It doesn't have anything to do with the contract specifics, the money. Like, he can get what he wants at Michigan if that's really where he wants to be and to finish his career. And if he doesn't, it's because that's not what he wants. He wants the one more shot at the Super Bowl, right? I need some of you people to get this through your thick skulls. I don't think there is anything... I'm being so serious. Ward Manuel can do to prevent Jim Harbaugh from going to the NFL if he gets a good an NFL offer that pleases him. Right. There's There's nothing he can do. Period. We are at the mercy of whatever offer the LA Chargers make to him or the Raiders or the whoever the fuck it's going to be, right? Right. That's it. Period. And I I said this before in the same way that I say this about the players. I can't begrudge him that. You've done the thing. You've taken us back to the top of the mountain, okay? Thank you. If you want to go achieve any other dreams of yours, I tip my cap to you. I thank you for your service, and I let you be on your way because I can't ask for more of you than you have already given me. 
Yeah, he's done everything that we asked him to do, right? Like you said, he took Michigan back to the top, and then, you know, at the I think it was at the national title celebration, actually, he said, quote, someday when they throw dirt on top of me or if somebody's eulogizing me, if they would simply say he was a Michigan man, that would mean everything to me. Like, you can just, you understand it, that he loves Michigan the way we all do, right? It's special to him. And if he has decided that I've done everything I can do here, including winning a national title, which, you know, there's obviously a complicated history around Bo Schembechler, but Bo was his mentor, right? He always wanted to be that, to have that kind of impact at Michigan. And Bo never won a national title. You know, people talk about him being maybe the greatest Michigan coach of all time. Never did that. And Harbaugh has, and I think that has to mean something for him. And I, I don't know what effect it has on his decision-making. Maybe that is really a, like, I, I did the thing. I, I've become what I wanted to be, and now I'm, I'm just ready to move on. Or maybe it's, you know, I see the, the love and the embrace from the community, and I, I want to finish that. Like, I have no idea. Jim Harbaugh's a fucking weird guy, and you're never really going to know what's going on in his head. But... I do think that means something to him, and um, it's just something we're we're not really going to know the answer to until he makes an announcement one way or the other, or until you know he gets an NFL offer, and we're going to find out. But fuck, it's it's January fifteenth. We won a Natty seven days ago, and it, it's just hard to you know to start thinking about that. About okay, if Harbaugh leaves, who's going to be the guy? Is it Sharon Moore? Is it you know like you said, who's that quarterback? You know, we've got options. Who's out there in the portal? But like, we're just not really ready to move on yet from this team no we were making the drive back from Michigan yesterday and I made a comparison to a Taylor Swift song it's a sad Taylor Swift song it's not really like totally one for one applicable here but there's a song where she talks a lot about just after a relationship ends being frozen in time not being able to leave the table at the restaurant where the breakup happened she's just stuck there she can't think past it she can't move past it and that's how I feel about this team except that like I want to be frozen in now when I'm really happy about it and I don't want to think about you know I really don't even want to think about the beginning of September you know and like and that's the first time that's ever happened in my life right that I don't want to think about what happens when football comes back I just I feel like this team has got like a death grip on me and I am frozen in time with them and I can't think about what the future without them even really looks like right now and I don't want to I just don't want to yeah no you should enjoy it like I said we should bask in it waited a long time for this it's not a yeah we celebrate for a few days and then we get ready for the next one that's not that's not how it works with a national championship for the first time in 26 years you know, it can't be there's a, a phenomenal TikTok that you shared with me a few days ago that I just keep going back and watching where it's just basically a slow motion shot of um, you know, various Michigan players and coaches in the aftermath of the, the championship game with the confetti falling and just, you know, tears in their eyes or kind of looking up and wonder. And I guess it's a, a quote from Loki. I haven't seen the movie, so. I haven't uh, either. I've, I've basically never seen a Marvel movie. So. <laughs> Same, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> but the voiceover, which I guess is from Loki, is I might just wait here for a little bit. Let time pass. And yeah, that's what it feels like right now. Is uh, you just want to let it, let it hang there in the air, and soak it in for for as long as you can. You know, you know when you're a kid, it felt like everything took forever. You know, Christmas Day feels like it's two weeks long, 
and you know, driving to your grandparents' house or whatever feel like it'd take fucking eternity. Yeah, I used to think my high school, the high school I attended, was so far away. My parents used to drive me there for, like, you know, there's a big pool where you could, like, open swim for yeah. $7 or whatever. Like, my parents used to take me there. And I was like, oh, my God, the high school is so far away. It takes forever to get there. And then I started going to high school, and I realized it's, like, a nine-minute drive. <laughs> you know, like, really stupid. Yeah, but everything feels like it takes forever because you don't really have a frame of reference for time. And now I, I want that. I want all of this to take forever. It won't. It'll go faster than we want it to, but I wish it would. Just want to soak in it and let time pass. So with that in mind, I think we're going to take the rest of this episode to kind of reflect on this last season and especially the moments that we will remember from it. I mean, it's just such a special team, unforgettable season. And, you know, we started like, okay, what are our, our favorite moments? And the list got pretty long pretty fast, <laughs> but we kind of narrowed it down to each of us had like a, a top tier and we ended up with eight total moments that we're going to break down. And I'm going to see if I can if I can pull some, some audio clips into this to help just kind of bring that moment back to you now. Um, but before we get to those, we do have a couple honorable mentions. So we've got a few of these, and then we're going to count down from number eight to number one in terms of our favorite moments from Team 144. That Mikey third down play I just mentioned is an honorable mention here. I just, it's such an effort play. It is exactly emblematic of who Mikey Sanders still is. And what this team was on the whole, really, that they're going to give you 100% of everything all the time. So that one is an honorable mention for me. I just, I loved it. JJ to Colston Loveland, right past fucking Cal Halliday's ear against Michigan State. That was a goddamn laser. And it was just, it was so funny in the moment because Cal Halliday is turning to run with Colston Loveland. And JJ McCarthy just sees this and says, nope, (laughs) your presence could not matter less to me. This is a fucking touchdown. Yeah, no, it was sick. It's hard to put that one in your top moments in a season where you win a national title and you beat that team by 50. <laughs> but, like, you know, it was good. Right, in a 49 nothing game, it's not quite as dramatic, but it was still a really fun moment. Um, all of the celebrations in the Penn State game, just because oh, yeah. it was kind of not quite immediately post-sign gate, but it was right when the Harbaugh suspension dropped. And you had, you know... Manny Diaz putting out that, like, be on time, be loud, especially on third down video. And then Cora mocked him on his touchdowns in that game. And then there was a sack on McCarthy where one of the Penn State players did, like, a binoculars sack celebration. And J.J. did it right back the next time he made a play. Like, a million out of ten for the sign gate mocking celebrations. No notes. Yeah, that was just kind of what this team was. Like, everything that people tried to throw at them was just I it just rolled right off yeah, it just rolled right <laughs> off it was like we're gonna have fun with this we love each other and that's what matters we're just gonna be out here having fun and winning games and you can't you can't take that away from us so my last uh, honorable mention item here is the will johnson pick early against ohio state when he basically runs marvin harrison jr's route for him and sets michigan up for the the opening touchdown in a game that the first few possessions, it was like, oh, God, this is going to be a fucking slog. And then all of a sudden, Michigan's got the ball inside the 10, and it's like, oh, Marvin, Har- Marvin Harrison Jr. is very good, but this is not the kind of game where he's just going to run wild and Michigan can't hang with him. Like, that's Will Johnson eating his lunch and setting Michigan up for a touchdown. And that was, a, you know, obviously a huge play in, in that game. 
but didn't quite make the top eight. So we'll get to that now. You want to start with number eight, or I'll start with number eight. I think number eight and number seven were the two that the two we had a lot of overlap that did not overlap. Right. So this number eight was yours. This was your the one uh, play that was on your list that was not on mine. That's right. So go ahead, I suppose. So it's twenty to thirteen, late in the national championship game, and obviously Michigan spent about the past two two and a half quarters kind of struggling on offense. Dicking around. Right. Finally, they get the the big play to Colston Loveland. They get the little uh, rollout pitch to. Uh, to Roman Wilson they're set up at the Washington 12 yard line and they give it to Corum he bounces outside he jukes the shit out of the linebacker and cuts it up into the end zone and it was it was just one of those moments from that game where it was like oh yeah we're we're gonna do this it wasn't quite the we've done it but it was the we're gonna do this moment so that's how it got into to my top tier but I understand why it's not quite in yours I think there was another play that we're gonna talk about later that was a little bit more final. Some very crafty play calls down here, and said they just handed this time to Cora. Steps back, breaks a tackle, touchdown, Michigan. Number seven. This was the one that was on my list, but not on yours. I have the Corum fourth and two on the game tying drive in the Rose Bowl. The one where Roman Wilson get, takes the worst block in the back of all time, but it doesn't matter. Michigan picks up the first down in a do or die situation, and the drive continues. Obviously, we know it ends up being the game tying drive of a Rose Bowl that Michigan ultimately wins, but it was just such a beautiful play. It was so well executed. It was so, such a great little counter to what we would normally do on a fourth down with Corum on the field. Everybody is expecting that little wedge, you know, Corum's in, it's, it's wedge time, right? It's fourth and two with this offensive line and Blake Corum. And they, they pull out this incredible tendency breaker. Corum is wide open. Corum does something he doesn't normally do really, which is operate as a pass catcher out of the backfield, but he does it here and it's perfect. It was just it was so well executed, and it was just so emblematic of who whose number is going to get called when the game is on the line. And it's yeah, we talked about this every time, right at the end of the Rose Bowl. Right, it was JJ Decorum. It was these are the guys who got you here. Let them let them take you home. Let them take you home. And and Blake did it. And Blake's legend. And I loved that play. And so it was my. It's actually interesting when I when I ranked this, I ranked this as my number four on the list. We kind of averaged them, right? So yeah, we had to combine these for an aggregate list since there was so much overlap. So it's yeah. essentially an averaging of the two. We averaged the numbers, but I'll tell you where I when we get to the ones that did have overlap, I'll tell you where what number mine was, and Matt can tell you what number he had the exact same play, and you can you can see whose list more resonates with you as far as the order of them. But I actually had this as my number four. I, basically, everything on that final drive was was perfect so understandably so great moment with Michigan season on the line McCarthy wide open catch made by Corum first down and much more weaves its way into Alabama territory flags come in on the tackle all right number six we have Roman Wilson skying for the tipped ball from JJ to set Michigan up inside the 10 on the same drive at the end of regulation in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, I I had that one higher. I had that at three 
on my list. I think I had it at seven. So we averaged them out or kind of took as close as we could get to what their numbers would be and then reordered them, which is how it ended up at six. But I thought that play was incredible. And the reason why is, number one, Roman Wilson has to go up so high to get this ball. He basically catches it just by the nose of the ball, like the tippiest tip of the ball. But also that's a pick if he doesn't come down with it. The safety is right behind him. And he's waiting for it. I mean, every replay you see, he's got his hand, he's got the basket ready, knowing that that ball is going to come right into that basket. Like, he thinks Rowan Wilson is not coming down with that because it's so high. Oh, right, after the deflection. And then Wilson made the comment where he said, I went up and I thought I was going to have to try to grab it one-handed and somehow I was able to stay up there. He said, it was God, bro. That was his quote. It was God, bro. Kept me up there just long enough. And, uh, yeah, I mean, watching it, it, it really is remarkable just the way he was able to kind of hang in the air and and have just enough to to get both hands on it and similar to the last play kind of save the season because it it would have been if that sails an inch higher or he's coming down just a split second earlier it's getting picked off and Michigan's season's over and we don't get almost any of the things that that came after yeah great play that's why I had it at three I thought it was such an incredible moment loved it Play fake. McCarthy scanning downfield and throws it high, and Wilson's got it. Roman Wilson weaving down inside the 10, and Michigan on the doorstep. And number five, and this was one actually that Matt and I both ranked in the exact same spot. We had this one at number five, the Rod Moore game ceiling pick against Ohio State. We talked about this a lot, but in the in the immediate aftermath of the Ohio State game, our like post-game podcast from that episode that's just not a game Michigan wins usually the Michigan that I have grown accustomed to seeing does not win that game right it's it's like the worst case scenario that everybody knows it's like oh you're down six great what a fabulous number to be down when touchdowns plus PATs are worth seven and you know they're driving the field and Marvin Harrison's on the field and you're like, man, they're gonna they're gonna go win this by one, aren't they? Yeah, the way they kind of chunk chunk down the field with about thirty seconds left. I mean, they were in range, and it it did feel like, oh man, this <laughs> this doesn't doesn't feel like it's uh it's gonna end the right way. And then of course you get Jalen Harrell coming through and and getting the hit on McCord just as he's letting the ball go, and and Rod Moore undercuts it, and it was another one like the two moments right before where. You know, it wouldn't have necessarily won the game. Like Ohio State still has to, I think it was at the Michigan 25-yard line where he picked it off. So they had a, a little bit of leeway, but they certainly would have had chances to get in the end zone there. And like I said, it's another one like the last two that if not for that play, Michigan may very well not have been able to uh, you know, to achieve any of the things it, it did afterward. That was basically season on the line against Ohio State. Winner goes to the playoff, loser goes home. And Rod Moore made Michigan the winner. And the winner became a national champion. McCord looks, fires, intercepted. Rod Moore and Michigan will win the game and head to the Big Ten Championship. All right, number four. And I think this is when I had a decent amount higher than yours. I think this was toward the bottom of your list, but I had it at number two. I had it at seven. Okay. Which is wild, given what the what the play actually is. <laughs> I think you're going to know the one. National championship game, Michigan's just gone up two scores. Washington's got fourth and 13. 
last gasp from Michael Penix in that passing game, and he tries to squeeze one into a tight window, just overthrows it, and Mikey Sainra still is there waiting. Mikey Sainra still always in the right spot, picks it off. I mean, the thing is that even if he doesn't make that catch, like the ball's sailing incomplete and the game's probably over. But I do think that him not only picking it off, but the return kind of gave us that that moment that we otherwise wouldn't have had of Michigan's going to win the national title. Yeah, that's the thing about this play, and I think that's why there was a little bit of a of a gap between where I had it rated and where you had it rated, which was, in my view, that game was over. It was already over. It didn't it matter if they scored right. on that possession or not. Honestly, it, did, it like it was not relevant. I didn't care. I thought that game was over, donezo, period. And so it was like a cherry on top. It wasn't like a real game-saving, game-clinching play. But what I will say is you're totally right because the quorum touchdown puts us up two scores. And one of the things that, like, this is such a greedy, like, fan shit to think about, but I was like, we're not going to get, like, an iconic moment. Like, we're not going to get an iconic call of a national title in the way that, you know, when Georgia won its first in 2021 after a long drought, right, they had a game-ending pick. Yeah, I think they were up five maybe in the last couple minutes, and Bryce Young threw the pick six where, yeah, it was was similar, but obviously a closer game. That that really was. A game that Bama might have won. I mean, it was more akin to what Rod Moore did against Ohio State. It was like a true, like, you needed this stop or you might lose this game type of deal. And they got that moment, and they, like, got that call, and they got the euphoria that came with it and the release. I was like, man, our national championship game is kind of a slow-motion blowout, and it's boring. First world problem. This, right. Like, this is such a greedy fan problem to have. And so it's nice that what Mikey did was able to give us kind of that or the closest thing we were going to get to that in this particular game. But my problem with it is, like, I didn't think it mattered. I thought that game was won already. And so I'm like, well, Yeah, it's more okay. that when I think back to that game, like, five years from now, ten years from now, if somebody asks me, like, you know, about that game, about the national championship game. That's probably what I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember the video that we've seen going around from, I think it's the State Theater, where they had the watch party, and there's the video of the pick and the return and just the explosion from all the people watching, the exhilaration in that moment of, we did it. And I even felt that, you know, I wasn't there. We were just watching in private because we're crazy people. But it was during that return when, like, I started breaking down and I said to you, like, Mikey Sainer still is going to have a pick six to win the national title. And then he got pulled down like two seconds later. But, you know, functionally it was, it was that, it was just that moment when it was real. And so I'm going to remember that. And I think that makes it a a pretty special moment. Penix looks the other direction down the scene. It's intercepted by Sainer still. Mikey Sainer still has a couple of blockers. A convoy, Michigan, set up inside the 10, Mikey Sandristow, biggest play of this defense tonight. At number three, we have Blake Corum with the go-ahead touchdown in overtime of the Rose Bowl. Again, this was one where I thought there was a bit of a gap between me and you. I had it at six. Where did you have it? I had it at 
at number three. Okay, you had it at three. I mean, that was the moment, because for the most of the second half, right, it was not going our way. It didn't feel good. I was like, oh, no. Again, we're going to do this again. This Bama team's not even that good. Like, I'm so mad that we're going to get bounced by, like, a mid-Bama team relative to all of the other juggernauts we've seen from Alabama. And then Blake Corum said no. I mean, we got the ball in overtime. We had the disadvantage, right, of, you know, you're going first, which obviously leaves Bama in a position to just go for two and one-up you, even if you do score a touchdown. Like, you're in the – you have the information deficit when you're going first in overtime. So the thing you've got to do is – the best thing you can do, the best decision thing you can do for yourself is to get six here, to get seven with the PAT and not, you know, put yourself in a position to get beat by a field goal or whatever, right? And Blake Corum breaks the tackle. He's spectacular. He's... I mean, that jump cut in the backfield. The jump cut. He, like, fucking vanished and reappeared. He was like, he, he, like, apparated into the hole. Right. He moves like four yards in one jump cut horizontally to get around the penetration on the interior. And then he's into the open field with Carson Barnhart as the lead blocker and you know, works his way around that guy and then breaks that tackle at the, about the five, just spinning through it. And it's just such an iconic, such a, the way that he finished it, you know, spinning through that tackle and bowling his way into the end zone. And then getting up, like, mean mugging the camera. It's, it's iconic. It's it's not the highest ranked play we have on this list from the Rose Bowl. But it's, I think, one of the most iconic, like, Rose Bowl moments, touchdowns of all time. And I don't think it's a coincidence that when Blake Corum put out his farewell video, one of the lines in it was something along the lines of, I hope I've given you memories that you'll remember forever. And that's the play that you know the video portion of the play that's what's playing over that line like yeah buddy <laughs> i'll remember that one forever three michigan tight ends in the ball game they handed to quorum again and makes a cut first down spinston scores blake quorum puts michigan on top in overtime at number two another one that i had i think higher than you on my list this is number two Blake Corum. Have you heard? Have you heard his name enough? He's on been this on here list? once or twice. Blake Corum, the go-ahead touchdown against Ohio State to put Michigan up twenty-four seventeen. Immediately after the Zinter injury, and he flashes the six-five into the camera. It's such an incredible play for so many reasons. Number one, of course, it's a tie game against Ohio State. Everything's on the line, but. You know, Zinter has just gone down. And if you were in the stadium that day like we were, you feel the the air get completely sucked out of the... Like, it's not a room, but it's, you know, the air got sucked out of the stadium. It was silent. It was eerie. Everybody felt that sense of doom kind of creeping over the stadium quickly. And well, then, Keep in mind, Ohio State had just gone down and scored to make it 17-17. And then Michigan's driving, and you have this inter-injury. So kind of the moments leading up to that, it was getting tense, like, oh, shit, okay, Ohio State's kind of turning it on here. They're coming. Right. And then to have Zinter go down, it's like, man, it just doesn't feel like the way this is going is is the way that it should be going if we're going to win this game. And then, then of course, you know, 
the the interior offensive line is the the strength of the offense in a lot of ways and you know you lose a key piece of that in the moment and to respond not only with a successful running play which kind of is in and of itself a huge part of the reason that the moment resonates so much it's like no our run game says no okay it it will continue to impose its will Zach Zinter or not immediately after the crowd the let's go Zach just emanates through the stadium and Corum gets that touchdown and he's not thinking about himself or you know what celebration he wants to do he's just scored a touchdown in the big game no he immediately flashes his teammates number into the camera it's a beautiful moment and it's so emblematic of what it was that made this team special it's the way that they love and care for and play for each other it's a feature not a bug it is why they got as far as they got it is why they are national champions and to see it come out in a moment that's that because you know sometimes moments like those are contrived you can tell people are doing it to put on a show you can tell people are doing it because they know it will make them look good but this is a huge moment in a game and this injury just happened Blake Corum did not have the time like he did with the, with the Manny Diaz celebration where it was obvious right. that you could have thought about that like a day in advance and have been prepared for that moment no he didn't have time to think about what he was going to do in that moment it was just the first thing that came to him to flash his teammates number up before the camera and that speaks so much to who he is and what this program was and I thought it was so special it's number two Corum dancing Corum breaks a tackle to the end zone Blake the great touchdown Wolverines and that brings us to our number one which was actually a unanimous number one so it was an easy choice here there was no averaging that netted out to like defaulting to this one it was like I said, unanimous number one among the two of us. You might already have a sense of what it is, given the <laughs> process of elimination that you might have gone through here, but it is the final play of the Rose Bowl. Fourth and three for Alabama. There's been the two consecutive timeouts. Every one of us is dying, head in our hands, saying, please, one, one stop, one stop for glory. And Alabama runs QB power, try to go right up the gut, and Michigan just dominates it. There's no uncertainty in that moment. There's no JT with short potential there. There's there's nothing except he goes down and every player on that Michigan sideline is immediately pouring onto the field. And it was just pure ecstasy. I mean, we were so fortunate to have gotten to be there for it. To have that moment where you've you've done it. To have that moment of exhilaration and glory and you know you mentioned the the call from Chris Fowler that's the moment we didn't get in the national championship game Mikey's pick gets us close but the call from Fowler is a masterpiece it's a perfect call I mean not just the call but the entire sequence I mean especially if you like us you've probably watched this 50 times if not more it's almost cinematic how the Michigan players are pouring onto the field and you've got the call and then they're flashing to to JJ and Mikey embracing just as the confetti bursts and it's Fowler a masterpiece. Stops talking right when the band starts to play. That's right. The band starts playing the victory. It's like you couldn't have produced this video if you tried any better and it's truly a masterpiece. And you know like we said before it it turned out to be kind of for Michigan you know reaching the summit or or close to it. 
in that moment. And then the Washington Washington game turned out to be a, a little bit anticlimactic. But uh, yeah, just thinking back to this playoff run and what we're going to remember from it, I think Michigan stopping Jalen Milrow to beat Alabama to win the Rose Bowl. That's our number one. Game on the line. That's Williams in motion. Low snap. Melrose stopped. Michigan makes a stand and comes up with a milestone playoff victory. It's perfect. And by the way, it ended Nick Saban's career. We haven't really talked about that yet on this podcast. Huge news in the college football world. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we haven't, uh, yeah, haven't really had a chance to talk about that. But it is wild to uh, to think about, you know, that that was it for him. That's always going to be Nick Saban's last play of his career. Especially funny in the context of Alabama then hiring Kalen DeBoer away from Washington. Michigan left a you know Sherman's March salting the earth path through its playoff opponents because. Nick Saban retires, and then Washington on the come up, and all of a sudden they're looking for a new head coach and losing everybody. And, it, and they uh, hired Jed Fish. They hired right, yeah. The, the circle of life continues. The but Harbaugh coaching tree. That's right. Looking strong. And again, Michigan might also be in the market for a new head coach. I guess we'll see. But as we've said multiple times on this, we're just not ready to. They can't kill my vibe. They There's can't. Nothing no. they can do to kill my vibe. No. Sorry, can't be done. And we didn't even talk about either. The NCAA president being like, fair and square. That happened after we record. Everything right. about it, there is no vibe to be killed. Yeah, I mean, the, we talked about that in the sense that, like, it was never getting vacated anyway. That yeah. Brian Day or unnamed leaker, if you will. Like, it probably helped Michigan out a lot by getting this out there and, and making it so that, you know, the field was leveled if there was an unlevel field before that when Stallions resigned. and. And then Michigan just had to prove it, and they did. Stallions, week in and week out. Who, by the way, is an iconic troll. Because yesterday, while like the Lions are playing, kind of eyes on the NFL playoffs, he's fucking posting pictures outside of the horseshoe. He's outside of the horseshoe with a national champion's hat and roses on his dashboard. He's a strange person, but like a goaded troll. Unbelievable behavior from him. By that the is way. some quality troll work. Yeah. But yeah, that was never getting vacated anyway with the way it played out and the timing of it and, and the fact that without Stallions, Michigan went through the hardest stretch of the season without Jim Harbaugh, an attempt to provide some equities, and they beat Ohio State, <laughs> and then they you know beat Alabama, they beat Washington, and they do it in, in the latter case in pretty decisive fashion. And then right, Charlie Baker comes out and says, you know, I don't think there's any question that Michigan won it fair and square. That's not the kind of quote you're getting from somebody who's looking at this and saying, uh, they're going to need to to vacate this national championship. You know, maybe there's something that ends up happening from like Michigan's going to end up dealing with some kind of penalties punishment from this, but it's not going to affect the national title. So we can just bask in it. We can just enjoy it and let time pass. That's right. So if you are still here, thank you for listening, and we'll see you back soon. Go blue. <laughs>